Welcome to Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. Each week, we'll be having fun and candid conversations with amazing chefs about their favorite ingredients. We'll also be joined each week by food suppliers, farmers, producers of those ingredients to talk about the production process, why chefs like working with those products, and how they're using them today. This week, we're exploring tomatoes on and off the vine with our good friend and chef, Dan Richer of Razza Pizza Artigianale in Jersey City. It was really great to record at Razza where we were treated to a whole pizza tasting. I think he brought out, it was probably 10 pizzas. I think I, I think ate. One of everything on the menu. I think I ate them all. The burrata pie was oh. a personal favorite. There wasn't one pizza that wasn't incredible. Yep. The next day, I had a conversation with a friend, chef, former restaurateur, Frank Crispo, Mm -hmm. and he made a really great comment about the pizza at Raza. And what he said was, it's where New York meets Naples. And I thought that was a great kind of description of the pizza of Raza. You know, he says it's not Neapolitan pizza. And it's certainly not New York sliced pizza by any means. And it's its own thing that has been created by this passionate, creative It is his craft for sure. Like he looks at pizza making as like an art form. And I think that's what separates his pizza from a lot of other pizzaiolas, you know, around the country. Yeah. A lot of people, you talk about Naples pizza, you think floppy, very yeah, fork wet, and knife. possibly a fork and knife yeah. if you're that kind of barbarian. You know, in 2019, we had that great trip to uh, Naples and, and Calabria. First of all, it's not easy to get Dan Richer out of his kitchen. He doesn't like to leave. No, he definitely, he wants to make sure that he can control every single pizza that comes out of that oven. But what I thought was cool when we were at Razza, uh, he brought out the Calabrese pizza for us to taste. And the first thing he said was this was inspired by our trip. You know, they are now fermenting their own chilies and using that as the sauce. There's no tomatoes on this pizza. And he said that, you know, immediately once he got back from the trip, he started kind of tinkering with the idea of creating a pizza, um, you know, based on it. Speaking of pizza, what do you think of this headline? The best pizza city in America is Portland, Oregon. At first, I have a negative reaction to it because obviously I'm an East Coaster living in New York and obviously eating Dan's pizza in Jersey City. I don't know if I agree, but as I read the article, I kind of understood what he was saying in terms of it's not just sliced pizza or Neapolitan pizza. All the types of pizza that are out there, whether it's Chicago style, Detroit style, are represented in Portland. Well, we should preface this by the he that you're talking about is Nathan Mervold. He's got a book coming out in October called Modernist Pizza. Mm -hmm. If it's anything like his former book series, Modernist Cuisine, it's going to be a book encyclopedia about pizza. So Kate Crater wrote this story. Kate's a good friend of ours. She wrote this for Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. I totally get, I'm I'm also a New York City proud pizza person. Mm I would have always put Portland, Oregon, actually, in my top three pizza cities in the United States. A Pizza Shoals, Ken's Artisan. That's a very good client of ours and a good friend also, Ken Forkish, who, not coincidentally, was a very talented bread baker. Mm-hmm. His pizza is excellent. Um, the other place they mentioned is a woman chef, Sarah Minnick, and she has a pizza place called Lovely's 5050. Where is that? In Portland. I've never heard of it, but she calls that number one in the country. Wow. But what's interesting is that this article does call out Raza. Yeah, as number two. As number two in the country. 
We'll also be joined by Kim West from Muti Tomatoes. Muti is a favorite product of the Chef's Warehouse. A lot of our top customers are using their tomato line. You know, when we were over at Razza Pizza, I spied Muti Tomatoes in that kitchen. He's using a lot of different tomatoes, but I did see the Muti product in his kitchen. Yeah, I know he's a fan of the passata and of the tomato paste. Yeah, I often have Missy Robbins. She's often asking for the Muti tomato paste by by name. John has had the opportunity to visit their production facility in Italy. We find it really unique that they're actually in Emilia-Romagna, which is typically not where you grow tomatoes. When you think of tomato growing, you're thinking of the south of Italy where it's super hot. The weather kind of permits that type of tomato growth. You, you know what one of the great things about Muti is? What? Well, the chefs know this already. If you're a chef, you know, you can buy these tomatoes from your distributor, Chef's Warehouse. But if you're a home consumer, you can find these tomatoes in your local supermarket. And that's a rarity. I mean, you have a super high quality restaurant quality product that's available for you to make your stuff at home. I I don't even bat an eye. As soon as I see them, um, you know, you have a lot of choices in that tomato section of your supermarket. I just go right for the Muti. You know, that brand is all about quality. Another thing about Muti tomatoes is I learned that they are the top selling tomato in Italy. And if that doesn't tell you something, You know, when I think about Italy, there's no place I'd rather eat than in the home of an Italian grandmother or the mother uh, who's doing the home cooking. And this is the tomato, the top selling tomato for Italian households. I mean, what more do you need to know about this product? This episode is in partnership with the Chef's Warehouse and produced by Hey Now Media. Today, we could not be happier to be in front of our great friend, Dan Richer, in Jersey City, above Razza Pizzeria. Funny story about Razza. I'd never heard of it until one day I woke up and the New York Times food section, I opened it up and here is a three-star review for a pizza place. And I was like, holy shit, this has got to be incredible pizza because you know I'm involved in the world of fine dining restaurants, French restaurants, Italian restaurants, you know, the Daniel Baloods and Thomas Kellers of the world. And, you know, many of them would be very pleased to get a three-star review from the New York Times. That doesn't, they don't hand those out. I think at that time, there were probably five restaurants in New York City that had four stars and a handful of threes. So here I am looking at this going, oh my God, this pizza must be out of this world. So I immediately called a friend and said, he was involved in the pizza world, actually Fred Mortati, who you guys know. And I was like, Fred, have you heard of this amazing pizza place in Jersey City called Razza? He goes, no. I felt like I was in the Twilight Zone because we love pizza. So I said, I have to go. I don't think I made it here right away. Another good mutual friend, Ed Levine from Serious Eats. I knew he knew every pizza maker on the planet. And I sent a note over to Ed and said, Ed, I want to go to Razza. How do I get in there? And he said, let me send Dan a note. He's the owner. He's the pizza maker. When you get there, tell him you know me. I was like, okay, great. I came in and Dan was there and we'd never met before. And he was so nice. Did he eat with you the whole time? No, but you know what he brought out? He brought out the best bread and butter I've ever had in my life, maybe. And I'm like, the bread and butter are this good. This is a pizza place and I'm having bread and butter. And then it just started and there was salads and there was meatballs and then there was pizza. And that was, forget it. It was incredible. My experience with Dan goes way, 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 way back. Uh, I've known Dan since 2010. That's it? Yeah. 
I started a chef's warehouse in 2010 and Dan was my first cold call. I started doing some research and uh, I saw his name on the bottom of a menu and I gave a call and he said that he had been waiting for someone to call from chefs for a long time. He was actually interested in the uh, ricotta, one of the ricottas that we sell. You know, it was love at first sight. The rest is history. The rest yeah. is wow. history. I love it. So, I, you know, we've been selling to Dan for over 10 years and great partner and his pizza. I remember when that review came out, I was living in Jersey City and I decided I was like, I want to take a walk by Ratza and see like what the energy is like the day that this three star review came out. And it was a mob scene. It was like literally just like people filled the streets and Dan was just hugging and kissing everybody. And I just remember like we locked eyes. I smiled and I just kept walking and like let him enjoy that moment. But I was so proud of him and like to, to know him pre that. I mean, the New York Times is the gold standard for a restaurant review. Did you even know that they were doing a review? Like, I don't think no. I ever saw a pizza place get yeah. reviewed in 30 years of reading the New York Times. Well, especially in, in New Jersey. Yeah. You know, they review places like Roberta's and Pasquale Jones, I'm sure. But you didn't know who was that? Pete Wells who wrote mm -hmm. that? Did, was he, did you no idea that he was coming in and having pizza or you might have known? No, we knew um, he came in with Ed Levine. Uh, so everybody knows Ed Levine. Sure. Face. And that was the first time I met Ed. And he's uh -huh. just the best. I love that guy. Wow. And but then, remember, a, a review is just one person's opinion, right? Sure. But it's read by tens of, of millions of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a special time in the history of Raza. For sure. How long had you been open when that review came out? Four and a half, five years. Um, to, that to me is the incredible part is that, again, I thought I was kind of in the know on pizza places in you know my backyard in New York, um, if not other cities of the U.S. And here is this pizza mecca happening underneath our nose. And you I had no idea. About it. So thank you, New York Times. Yeah, oh, totally. Um, and what, did that do, what did that do for your business? Was that like a life changer? Totally. We have a very small restaurant. It's 1,200 square feet. It's 40 seats and we couldn't fill them. If you're not filling 40 seats, you got a problem. And turns right. out it just took the New York Times. Did you think your pizza was that good before the review? Because again, you're like, eh, I can't fill 40 seats. Is my pizza that good? Is something we're not doing something right? I had never had that feeling. So you always had the confidence. I, in I, what I shouldn't say that. I always had that feeling. I still have that <laughs> feeling today. Where well, does that's that what makes you great. from. Like I would call you almost an obsessive type guy about your pizza. Yeah. And it's like constantly like every day you're looking at it clean slate. Is it as good as the day before or whatever? Totally. Where does that come from? It's not like you're making a bowl of soup. Bowl of soup. You have your ingredients, your cook time. It's not really that alive. Pizza is alive. It, I think it is one of the most challenging food items to create and to create it on a continuous basis. So why did you want to get into pizza? It's pizza, man. Come on. <laughs> Who doesn't love pizza? But you didn't have any, you you know, you went to Rutgers. Yeah. You didn't went, have any food experience. Grew up in New Jersey yep. eating incredible Italian-American food. At 15, I got my first job in an Italian restaurant as a busboy, serving bread and clearing tables. And I loved it. I actually traded the chef a guitar lesson for him to teach me how to make eggplant parm. Wait, were you a guitar player? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. At 18, I left that restaurant to become a waiter somewhere else. And then in college, I made ice cream. And after that, I managed a restaurant. And my senior year in college, I skipped my graduation ceremony to fly to Italy. My cousin had an apartment in Rome. And he was like, come, I have two weeks off. Let's go, let's go travel. This is what pizza savants do, Andrea. They let's don't, they, most people put on the cabin gown. Yep. The savants... They, yeah. they, they're smart. They get yeah. right on the plane. Absolutely. I, I don't need to sit through a... Was uh, that your first trip to Italy? That was my first trip to Italy. Wow. Yeah. yeah so I flew to Rome. We, we did Rome. We traveled all the way up to 
Lugano, Switzerland, Beautiful. and then all the way down to Salerno. And what did you think of Italy? I was in love. I was absolutely in love. And it was specifically with the regional differences in the food. You know, the food that you had in Rome is different from what you have in Florence and is way different than what you have in Milan. I and think it's the most amazing thing about that country because it's not that it's big so a country. Small. Yet you have, I don't know, is it 20? It's very region specific. Basically almost, you know, 20 distinct cuisines within a country that probably mm-hmm. has a population the size of not even Texas. Yeah, and when you when you see the micro regions, like trying to taste the difference of the regional pastas of Piacenza versus Parma, which are so close together, they're in the same region, but they have very distinct qualities. I immediately came home from that trip and started cooking. I wanted to make simple dishes like just pasta with red sauce. No Why? culinary school. No, uh, but I started my college career at Cook College, which is the agricultural school at Rutgers. Mm-hmm. So I have three years of agriculture courses. So when I started to cook, I started to visit farmers markets. And that's when it kind of clicked for me where I can talk to a farmer about sustainability and crop rotation, all these things that weren't really a thing back in 2002. Yeah, but 2003. The ingredient, I mean, the sourcing and where it's coming from and the quality of that thing, which that was always parts of our conversations. Like we would talk you, you would be like placing your order with me and you would want to know about anything that was local at most domestic. Yeah, um, it was totally. super important to you to kind of never veer off. And I think it's something that you continue to do. And yeah, well, and that's why I never knew Fred Mortati. Right. Because he only imports Italian products. I used to try and sell him Caputo flour. Yeah. And he would say, nope, I you know, I, it's a great product. I, I know it, but it's not who I am. It's not who Rasa yeah, fu- is. Fundamentally. Yeah. Right. If my pizzeria was in Italy, I would be using Italian ingredients. And that's the true Italian mentality. Right. That's the ideology that that really the rest of the world has. Sure. You know, you don't eat blueberries in uh, December. You eat with the seasons. Mm-hmm. You exactly. eat what's growing what's, locally. What's right over there. Right. And a lot of that is just economics, too. Totally. Why are we flying something from across the world? You know, the freight costs more than the product itself. Exactly. All right, wait, let's go back. So Yep. So I started to cook after that first trip. Yep. And then I worked in random restaurants for two or three years. And I um, I had the opportunity to purchase a failing restaurant. It had two wood-fired ovens. That sounds exciting yeah. and dangerous. Dangerous. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Not only the opportunity to buy a restaurant, but one that's failing. failing. Yeah. Well, it, I, what, it was like a what, challenge. I was, dude, I, I was 26 years old. I had no money. Yep. Right. The only thing you can afford is something that's already built, right. has the equipment, has the infrastructure, has enough business to to pay the rent, to pay the staff as small as the staff was. And it was turnkey. I didn't know about building restaurants. I didn't know about the architecture and lighting design and all that stuff. Still struggling with that. Now. Family supportive of this. Here you are, you know, college educated. You've not gone. You're not, you know, not. Use your family in the food. No, no, no. So right when I got back from that trip. Like three months later, my mom passed away. Oh, um, so it was the cooking that really brought people together. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother and my dad were like very introverted. It was really the only way to get all three of us and our friends together. It was like cathartic for you. Totally. Yeah. I always find I'm happiest when I'm learning something. When you're engaged in a process of learning, it's impossible to be sad or angry or have grief. So I really channeled a lot of that energy into learning the process of mixing flour and water together and shopping the farmer's market and developing a relationship with a farmer. 
and tasting great products like heirloom tomatoes in New Jersey and biting into an heirloom tomato in the peak of summer is so far different than biting into a regular grocery store tomato. I love that difference, that that difference between the two products lights me up. I get so excited. I have a hard time buying tomatoes outside of the summer months anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, we don't it, do no it. No flavor, the texture is off, they're just not as good, which I mean, obviously, you know, for pizza, you're using a, a canned tomato. Typically. Yes. And, yeah. you know, as soon as I asked you to be on this podcast, I said, what ingredient do you want to talk about? And he couldn't say tomatoes fast enough. <laughs> um, and this is something that I participated in, in your tomato tasting process. Tomatoes are canned once a year. One brand is not going to taste the same as it did the prior year. Right. So Dan always wanted to taste our you know, new crop. And that was one of my questions, actually, before I even walked in here today, not to mention the New York Times 10 times today. But I remember they did a story about one of the New Haven pizza makers and how they do this ritual every autumn, I think, where they bring out all of the crop of the that harvest and they blind taste maybe 20 different tomatoes to see what is going to be the tomato for the pizzeria. Yeah, for the that's next us. 12 months. That's what we do. do the same uh, thing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So tomatoes are an agricultural product, yep. right? There should be variation especially when the cannery doesn't have a lot of technology. Right. right? So it's like a, a traditionally produced winemaker. Yeah. Every vintage, there's, the wine is mm -hmm. quite different. Your 2019 versus your 2020. So tomatoes the are 2020 very... is always going to be horrible. <laughs> tomatoes, <laughs> <laughs> so tomatoes are similar where the, you, there's that variation and you've got to taste it. What are you I've, tasting for? Everybody says, oh, you have to use Italian tomatoes. You have to use San Marzano tomatoes. Tomatoes from this area are the best. It has to be plum tomato, right? Everybody says a lot. I want to get to the facts. I want to know what makes a great tomato. I talked to a lot of tomato growers and a lot of tomato canners, and I came up with a list of seven components of my ideal tomato. The color, the viscosity, the texture, seeds and skins, the quantity, yep. positive flavor attributes, negative flavor attributes, acidity and sweetness. That's what makes a great tomato. Yeah. If you can excel in each one of those realms, that's the tomato that I want to use. So when you do a tomato tasting, you're grading each tomato based upon those qualifications. Yes. I do a double blind taste test. I'm using this evaluation system. It's not as scientific as it sounds. Like we have like this whole grid and this rating system, one to five. The main thing is to not trust a location or what they say you should use on your pizza or right. what they say. Develop your palate. And this is how to develop your palate. I love that. So who chooses what tomatoes are going into your annual tomato cutting? How many tomatoes, how many cans are you guys opening for something like that? We usually do about 10, 12. But honestly, the past, I don't know, four or five years, I've been doing it every few months. Mm -hmm. Anytime I see a new tomato in the supermarket or when one of our vendors comes to us with a new tomato, I'll try it. You want to I try it, it? Yeah. and I try it next to the current tomato that we're using, and then I throw in a random other one. That's smart. So it doesn't have to be this once a year big thing that that I used to do. Now we just do it ongoing. Anytime I get my hands on a new tomato, I'm, I'm tasting it. And yeah. I'm tasting it um, with this evaluation system in mind. I love doing it with other people. I hung out with Giovanni from uh, King Umberto Pizza in Long Island. Uh-huh. And we sat and did a tomato tasting because he's like, my tomatoes are good, but I think there's something out there better. And we sat with five or six amazing tomatoes and the tomato he was using was the best one on the table. Interesting. Right. California, Italy, New Jersey. Are there any, first of all, where do tomatoes come from as far as these canned tomatoes that are used in pizza? Obviously, Italy's a place. Mm -hmm. California is a place. 
New Jersey, where yep. we are today. I don't think we have tomatoes from anywhere else. Maybe Spain. We have one from Spain. Do one you? from Spain. Yeah. I would love to taste that. I will get you a sample. Thank you. You know, local is important to you. Is that important to your decision? Or are you okay with saying, I really like this Italian tomato? Yeah. So I got to a point where there's more out there than just the winner of your tomato tasting. I don't usually seek out products internationally. If they're brought to me, I will certainly taste them. And sometimes they knock my socks off and we'll bring them in. And I realized that on pizza... We need at least two different tomatoes in the restaurant at all times, okay? And we keep them at different moisture contents, okay? Because a pizza that's baked with fresh mozzarella and tomatoes needs a tomato with a lower moisture content because there's so much moisture coming from that cheese, as opposed to a pizza that, let's say, it's a pizza that is just tomato sauce and we top it at the end with, say, burrata. Mm -hmm. Well, the pizza's baked without any other moisture, So we need a higher moisture content tomato. So we have to have at least two different tomatoes in the restaurant at all times. And do you use a different tomato for your meatball, like the marinara sauce? That's right. That's always the winner of the of the tomato tasting, which right now is California. Interesting. What is the difference flavor profile wise between an Italian tomato and a California tomato? That is impossible to say because you're you're talking about two geographical regions. It depends on the producer. It depends on how the tomato is grown. It depends how the tomato is canned. It depends on the product specifications of that tomato cannery. Each so tomato it's not, cannery. It's not specific to it being from an area. It's all about what that tomato tastes like. Absolutely. That's it. You cannot define a product based on its location. There's so many pizza chefs who are like, I only use California tomatoes. Right. And maybe that's like being kind of short-sighted. Maybe. It's not a well-thought-out statement right. by whoever made that statement. There's really terrible tomatoes coming out of California. Are there great tomatoes like Bianca de Napoli and some Stanislaus products? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Defining a product based on its region, I don't think is fair. I do regular tomato cuttings and I'm learning stuff as we sit here. What do you do with the tomatoes? I'm not looking for your secret recipes here. I will tell me that later. But do you cook the tomato at all before it goes on a pizza or is it always raw? Do you make a sauce? Typically for pizza, you put the tomatoes on uncooked. It's it's hard to say that, that though, because canned tomatoes are actually cooked once in the can to, to cook them, to sterilize. Pastras, yeah. Exactly. Do you season them? It depends on the tomato. Typically, no. Sometimes a little pinch of salt. Okay. Um, and we do dr- drizzle some olive oil on top of the pizza before it goes in the oven to help it cook. When you have a fantastic raw ingredient, like a really good tomato, doctoring it up with black pepper, spices, dried oregano, that that's not my thing. I'm with you. I want to celebrate this tomato. I don't think a lot of people understand the importance of what Dan just said about the quality of the raw ingredient in the can. The thing I'll draw up is when I was younger, I have, you know, Italian background. I had some grand, my grandmother who was a great chef and aunts and uncles that were really good home chefs. And I had this, you know, similar to Dan growing up, I was obsessed with Italian American food and red sauce. I played around cooking red sauce all the time for four hours. Mm -hmm. And I'd start with, you know, carrot, celery and onion, and then add basil and oregano and all these things. And finally one day, you know, uh, after all this trial and error and reading cookbooks, I walked up to my aunt, Zizzy, that's what we called her. And I was like, Zizzy, your marinara sauce, it's so good. What do you do? And she goes, I literally take a clove of garlic. I put it in a little bit of olive oil for five minutes. It gets golden. I put in the tomatoes from the can. I cook it for 10 minutes and that's it. I was like, yeah, 
Are you kidding me? Yeah. When you add that stuff, yeah. you're like almost covering up totally. the, the goodness. Yeah. But the whole thing is if you have to start with a pristine tomato in right. order for that to work. Right. If your tomatoes are already having off flavors and are just not delicious straight from the can, that doesn't work. Yep. Right. You can only treat it simply when the raw material is pristine. And I think that's hard for the general public to walk into a supermarket and figure out what the is the tomato so many options. That I That's want the problem. So many. Yeah. Do you want crushed? Do you want diced? Do you want whole peeled? Totally. We usually stick to whole peeled tomato canneries, at least the ones that I've been in contact with, which is a lot. They put the best product in the whole peeled. That's right. always the flagship product. And then all the trim, all the secondary parts, that goes into the puree and the worst of the worst goes into the, the paste. The paste. Food. Andrea, do you have a go-to tomato in the supermarket if you're walking in and you're looking I do. for What is it? I tend to buy Cento. Nice. Interesting. Okay. Good that tomato. Is, that's a good one. My grandparents, you know, I think bought that. So that's just what I go towards. What yeah. about you? Uh, you know, I will be very honest. Most recently, and this is not a product promo, Muti tomatoes to me in the supermarket. I trust that. It's good. It's a high quality tomato. And I will tell you, and if I'm in a desperate location in the Midwest somewhere that I, you know, don't recognize anything, I will go for the pummy pasteurized mm -hmm. in a box, believe mm -hmm. it or not. I find it has a pretty good flavor. The yeah, Muti, they do a good job. Um, Muti makes a passata. I love the passata. It is so good. Yes. I don't yeah. know what they do to it, but passata is almost like a tomato puree. Yeah. You can like almost heat it up and use it as a sauce just like that little bit of salt and olive oil, and it's like the perfect yeah. uh, pasta sauce. I again, high quality yeah. raw material. Yeah. My go-to at home is the Bianca di Napoli. Yes. Um, I feed my kids it because it's organic. California. It's California. I love Rabba di Napoli and Chris Bianco. Yep. They're like personal friends of mine. And my other favorite for home use is from Gustiamo, really small Italian importing mm -hmm. company in the Bronx. And they have a couple different products from Southern Italy, red tomatoes that are just something like very special. Wow. And you um, just uh, came out with a pizza book. Yeah, it's being released in October. What is it called? The Joy of Pizza. With Katie Parla. Yes. Amazing. So brilliant. How was that process of writing a cookbook? Writing it was fantastic. Katie is the best partner to work with on a project. She's so smart. Does this book tell us how to make the Ratsa pizza or is it what tell what is the book about? So it's adapted to the home oven. All the recipes you can make in your home oven, but there's also recipes geared towards the high temperature ovens like a Rockbox Uni, mm -hmm. uh, Breville Pizzaiolo, or a wood fired oven. And the meatballs are in there. My tomato evaluation rubrics in there, and all of our product specifications. I've oh. already ordered two copies. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I was gonna so say exciting. you had me at meatballs. <laughs> His meatballs. Yeah. Is there any like secret trick to your meatballs? Because they are the best I've no. ever had. No, it's like six ingredients. It's bread, all about, but yeah. it's the quality of the ingredients bread, again. I you think soak it, the bread. Do you do absolutely. bread, milk, water. Yep. Yes. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> I love a meatball. But you use the. Rats of bread. Right. So we use, so, okay. So the meatball thing, we take our day old bread and we actually soak it in the buttermilk that we get as a byproduct from the butter making process. I fainted. <laughs> Again. Again. So when you make butter, heavy cream is an, an emulsion, right? Of fat and, and water, kind of like mayonnaise, but not really. So the goal of churning butter is to break that emulsion. And when you break that emulsion, you're left with the fat, which is butter and the liquid, which is true buttermilk. So we take the dill bread, soak it in the buttermilk from the bread, from the butter making, and then we incorporate that into the meat. It's very clear the passion that this man has for what he does. I, I'm now wondering what's next. Are you into like fried chicken? 
I love Are you in like, what's the next creation? This is the next thing. I'm still working at it. Still got the pizza. Yeah, man. Totally. So we're expanding. We took over a space next door. We bought a bread oven, a real mixer, much better technology. So our pizza is actually going to get substantially better once we are in that new space and we have the new technology to work with. Amazing. Are you doing anything different besides pizza? Or same menu, just expanding the space? Uh, same menu. We'll, we'll add to the menu. Razza's always been a work in progress, like anything in life. I don't think anyone, at least I'm not the type of person who can just say, this is what we're doing and that's it. It's early in the season, but I just bought two eggplants from the store down the street just so my guys can stare at eggplants for the next week because the eggplant to Razza is very elusive. We've never nailed an eggplant pizza. And they are going to stare at this eggplant for a week and get ideas for nailing an eggplant pizza. Dan, this has been absolutely amazing. What I would say to every one of our listeners, if you live in New York, get in your car. If you live anywhere within 250 miles. Get on the PATH train and go to Razza in Jersey City. In Jersey City. Come down here and eat the pizza. If you live somewhere else, get on an airplane. It's worth the trip to eat this pizza. It's that good. Thank yeah. you, Dan. Dude, thanks for having me. You're gonna have yeah. to come back because we could clearly we could talk, talk about I mean, we could days. go we could go on. We we could turn on the oven. I can't wait. You guys are the best. This episode is sponsored by Muti Tomatoes, a favorite product of the chef's warehouse used by top chefs across the country. Andrea, I'm so excited about our next guest. We'll be speaking with Kim West, Senior Director of Sales for Muti Tomatoes USA. They have a uh, unique story, four generations uh, dating back to the 1800s. Their whole special thing to me is that it's all about the round tomato versus the plum tomato. That's what I also found so interesting. So Kim, we're so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for choosing Muti for this podcast and also for having me. Muti is a fourth generation family owned company that has always only focused on tomatoes. Right now, Francesco Muti is our owner and he's ran the business for about the last 25 years. And he is the one that saw the opportunity to focus on quality and to make sure that what we were providing in our cans and jars are the best tomato flavor and the best tomatoes possible for our chefs and also consumers. Muti tomatoes are produced in Italy. They are an incredible quality tomato. What's really unique about them, and I find it amazing too, the most tomatoes in Italy are coming from either Campania or Puglia in the south, where you abundant sunshine, super warm weather. Muti tomatoes is based in Emilia-Romagna in the center of Italy, closer to where they're producing mm-hmm. balsamic vinegar in Modena or Parmigiano-Reggiano in Parma and yeah. prosciutto di Parma. How did Muti end up or why is it based in Emilia-Romagna? So Emilia-Romagna is where the round tomatoes are grown. A lot of our products are based on that round tomatoes. The richness of the soil is reflected in that area because of what you just said about the Parmigiano-Reggiano being cultivated there as well as the prosciutto di Parma. If you think about that whole food area, there's a relationship between all these three foods. So the tomatoes are in the fields that the cows have been in the season before. The cow's milk is doing the cheeses and with the whey from the cheeses, it's getting fed to the pigs that are becoming the prosciutto di Parma. So there's a relationship in this whole food area 
that generates the flavor that we need in the tomatoes based on the soil. When you say round tomatoes, though, I think, you know, when I think of a canned tomato, I don't know about you, John, but I think of the San Marzano, which are normally plum, like a plum tomato. So there's two different areas. We have the Amhola Emilia Romagna area with Parma with the round tomatoes. And then we also produce in the south at, in Puglia with, for the plum tomatoes and the cherry tomatoes. So it depends on the type of product that we're providing to our chefs and where they come from. The home product of Muti is the round tomato. Andrea, you're from Jersey, right? Are you from I'm Jersey? I'm from Philly, but a lot Philly? of people okay. think I'm from Jersey. All right. You know, the Jersey tomato is a round tomato, which is a delicious tomato. It is a delicious tomato. When I think of Muti now, when I go to a supermarket, I look for the Muti brand. That is um, your tomato. It is my tomato. It's my go-to tomato. Which um, one do you buy, though? I buy the Muti chopped more often than anything else, but I also love their baby romas. Mm -hmm. the, is, yeah, the pulpa. So that's what you're doing. The pulpa is the, the finely pulpa. chopped, and that's something that we created. And essentially, it's a tomato that's picked and gets to our factories within about three hours of being picked and harvested. And it's like squished. So it's a fresh tomato in a can. It has a very low heat pasteurization process. So you get that fresh tomato taste from that product every single time. It is. And that's what's so important to us is have that fresh flavor and that fresh taste in every tomato product that we provide to both our chefs and our consumers. It's so good. Yeah. I think two of the things that chefs think of when they think of Muti today, especially in the United States, is your passata. Mm -hmm. I was just going to talk about the passata. And the tomato paste. The dopio and the triple. Mm -hmm. Correct. The tomato paste really is something that a lot of your chefs worldwide have embraced because the flavor and the density of flavor that comes out of that is second to none. You have to have six kilos of tomatoes to go into one kilo of tomato paste. So that concentration of tomato flavor is just fantastic. I don't and think all that is is tomatoes and a little bit of salt. So there's nothing in it but tomatoes. I, mean, I, I don't think people use tomato paste as much as they should. At least, I, maybe that's just me. No, I agree. I, I use it um, if I'm braising any meats. It adds so much depth of flavor when you're making a tomato sauce. The Muti paste, triple concentrate, it's just, it adds so much more flavor than the normal typical cans that you would see at the grocery store. And I, I look at it, I whenever I start tasting it, I'm like, we should be wrapping this in dark chocolate because it's just that sweet and flavorful. And it, it's almost a dessert sometimes when I look at it and we try it. It's a, it's a fun product to use. And then for the passata, that is a tomato puree, which is not widely used in the United States. It's something that's widely used in Europe. But again, it's another product that's been concentrated. It has a little bit of salt in it. And it's a perfect base for a lot of different things that chefs are serving, whether it's a soup. Um, we have chefs in New York City using it on pizza. They're using it in so many different applications. And you know, the thing, John, that's been resonating with a lot of the chefs that we've been introducing Muti to is the clean label. So even in our Pilati, uh, the whole peeled, there's nothing in it but tomatoes. So in a lot of the other tomatoes that are available out there, you'll find that there is an abundance of salt, there's calcium chloride, there's basil. Those all adulterate the flavor of the tomato and making sure that we can provide the best and freshest tasting tomato out of the can is so important to us that we will not add anything that really changes that flavor in some of our base products. I think the quality is reflected by, by the, that fact. One thing I wanted to ask is, you know, you mentioned Muti has been around for four generations, but I feel that in the United States, I've only really started to see it in the last 10 years. When did they first start showing up in the U.S.? 
So we did a limited launch in the U.S. Maybe you're probably right. About 10 years ago, about four years ago, we created a USA subsidiary for Muti Tomatoes and truly focused on expanding the Muti presence with food service restaurant operators as well as consumers. So the focus has been mostly in that time frame. Got it. Well, you guys have done a great job. Um, Our partnership at the Chef's Warehouse with Muti has been a very valuable one. Um, It's not often that a product just, again, like you said, in the last 10 years, comes into the marketplace and gets wide acceptance by some of the top chefs. So who are some of the big chefs that, you know, you're familiar with that are working with? I mean, I know, you know, Missy Robbins, who's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks, is a big fan of the tomato paste. We've seen Bobby Flay using our tomato paste on several occasions with not, us not providing any kind of product. So it's something that's done organically. There's a lot of the celebrity chefs out there that if you do watch, most recent thing is the show that was based in Tuscany with Stanley Tucci. If you look at all the tomatoes he was using, those were all Muti tomatoes. So there's a lot of different tomatoes that are showing up organically throughout, you know, both very famous chefs and on television shows that we had no idea. And it's just because of the quality is they embrace it. Could you also share with us a little bit about the production process, you know, harvesting to farming to production of the tomatoes? So this year, the harvest is probably going to start around July 20th, and it typically lasts until the mid-September in both sections. So in both the north and that Parma area, as well as in the south and the Puli area, from harvested product to production is about a three-hour time window. The quality standards that go through that, every single delivery of tomatoes is tested to make sure that it meets our quality standards. And the things that we're looking for are the pH, the sweetness, the appearance, making sure that there's no black or yellow or things in it that's gonna change the taste of the tomatoes. So that's tested before it even hits the production line. After the production line and going through, you're having those products going directly into production. So you know, one, for an example, on the paste that we mentioned earlier, that is produced during the harvest for in a specific line. Some people out there use byproducts to make paste. We would never, ever do that with our tomatoes. So everything we do goes directly from product to product line, and it's made. most of our products are made during the harvest. So it's a very short window of time to make sure that we get everything we need. Do you ever go over to watch the production? I know I visited Muti three years ago. Uh, it was really fascinating, a beautiful facility, state-of-the-art. Yes, I was lucky enough to be there at the harvest a couple of years ago as well, and it was exciting. I mean, it was being in the fields and actually tasting the tomatoes from the fields that were going to eventually end up in one of our cans, seeing that quality process in action. We were watching a delivery come up, and we all looked at it and said, eh, it doesn't look too good. So there's a crane that goes in and takes a scoop of tomatoes and then it goes through all of our quality standards and they rejected it. So it's fun to see that's living what we've been told and showing us that those tomatoes do not meet our specifications. So they went to a different tomato factory somewhere else. So seeing that, seeing the process on the lines and the amount of care that's taken in making sure the tomatoes are as perfect as they can be when they come out of the can was so exciting. I think that's awesome. Really, the quality of Muti is head and shoulders above 95% of what's out in the marketplace. And I'm looking at Andrew here going, why does anybody buy any other tomato when they're either, if you're a chef at a restaurant, you should be buying this tomato, at least try it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like a price-driven item, honestly, which I think, you know, when you're making pasta, which is pretty 
inexpensive and you're making a tomato sauce, I really think making the investment with a really high quality tomato like Muti is so important. To spend a dollar or two dollars more on a can of tomatoes, I, I think is well worth it. And, and that's reflected in Italy and in all of Europe where the number one brand of cons- for consumers in those areas, they choose the best quality tomatoes. You know, the, a lot of the Italian philosophy around cooking is having the best simple products to have those such flavorful and wonderful dishes. This is the tomato that all of the mothers and grandmothers in Italy are using at their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sold. Yep. Yeah, all the known sold already. We had a chef that was telling us that his mother had always canned her own tomatoes. This chef was based on Long Island. And so his mother was very, you know, first generation Italian. They came in, she tried the Muti tomatoes and she said, I'm not going to be canning my own tomatoes anymore. So that was, that was a fun thing to hear. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kim West, Muti Tomatoes. It's been a pleasure as it always is speaking to you and talking about tomatoes today on Ingredient Insiders. Thanks, Kim. Uh, Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Ingredient Insiders, where chefs talk. Like what you hear? Write us a review and follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.